Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail. Joining me today, as always, is... Brendan Norrison. And Adam, it has been a while. We're finally getting around to recording another podcast. Uh, I, I don't even want to say the L word, because it feels like every time we have a hiatus, we always just go, that's life. But it really has been recently. There's been quite a few changes in, in your life going on, and in mine as well, in terms of busyness and such. And that damn Atlantic Ocean that splits our time zones and such <laughs> also adds a bit to the chaos, but we're finally back together. How have things been going in the world of racing games for you, Adam, before we get into our topic? Ooh, the world of racing games, what have I been playing? Well, aside from more recently, obviously Need for Speed Underground, um, not a whole lot. You know, I, I found myself like dipping into GT7 with every update as you do, and then I I got tired of that, as I know many of us have. Um, we don't need to talk about that because that's that's a whole podcast unto itself. Um, yeah. And yeah, otherwise, uh, I'll tell you what. I was recently traveling uh, to, to drive a car uh, for my job. And on the plane, I just spent, I was flying from Philly to California. And I spent like almost the whole trip just playing Wreckfest on the Switch. So Really? How's the port? I've heard it's actually really good. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's uh, it's very blurry because it's a PC port on Switch and it's 30 FPS, but it's it's fun. It's all of Wreckfest in the in the palm of your hand, so can't really complain. And I love Wreckfest, so it was a good time. Yeah, you have kind of made a few glowing recommendations about it. I've seen in some of your articles and stuff that you you, you kind of throw in those references and stuff. And to be honest, like it's been a heavy racing game portable side for me as well having got the steam deck recently yeah and i actually wreckfest in my steam library which i do not have downloaded and now i'm like huh, maybe maybe i give it a go on steam deck if i've already got it there since i think the switch port was still like well 35 dollars for you guys i assume and then like 35 pounds for us sure yeah i mean it was um it was a full price game but i think uh like i found it on a sale or something like that or maybe it was a little bit below full price but uh yeah, I mean, if I had a Steam Deck, that's that's what I would do. How are you enjoying it? It's been fantastic. Nice. Um, definitely a niche device. Um, the one thing about the Steam Deck is that people who have one can't shut up about the emulation and stuff on it. <laughs> and, uh, admittedly, I've kind of fallen into that hole myself. Um, it's a very cool device. It definitely doesn't feel as if it's something like the Switch that could be a mainstream hit. Uh, mostly because it looks like it came from the 80s or something. It's not the most aesthetic device in the world. But the, the kind of the control layouts and the the performance for playing games has been spot on. Um, I've had my biannual return to Forza Horizon <laughs> this time through the Steam Deck, uh, playing Horizon Five up until the last update broke it, which is I guess a caveat of using like Linux-based gaming. Right. But um, yeah, I've put in like about sixty hours of gameplay on the thing so far, but twenty of those were. Forza Horizon 5 and then there's been various other games and stuff, the emulation is obviously bang on so I've been playing a lot of stuff there and then um, surprisingly outside of that it's just been kind of rhythm game stuff so it's it's been a nice device, um, it's, it's helped make games more accessible so for the two games we're talking about today I have been playing them strictly on Steam Deck, that has been my kind of platform of choice Wow. Okay. and um, it has been a oddly 
I guess, liminal experience in a way, because I remember playing these games on the Steam Deck as I remember playing Need for Speed Underground on the PSP. Like, I, I feel oh, as if right, I've yeah. actually experienced that before, but obviously it isn't, but that's the kind of, that's the nostalgia goggles we're always up against when we do these podcasts. So it's been a, it's a bit of a strange experience now, having what we wanted to have when we were kids, I guess, um, in the palm of our hands for the Steam Deck. And any emulation device, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, for me, it seems like the ideal uh, portable gaming device, uh, and, and maybe one day I'll get one, maybe when they come out with V2 or whatever, because uh, for a long time, I really was disappointed with the idea sort of after the PSP where everybody decided to say like, oh, we don't need like full-size console games on a portable system. And I know that it doesn't always turn out well, but like, I don't know, I, I enjoy like Outrun 2006, for example, on the PSP. I played that game a lot, just like I played Outrun 2 on the yeah. Xbox. And they're both full, you know, console quality games. So I don't really see why, you know, short of something like Assetto Corsa, uh, we have to like, you know, scale down games for uh, for portable systems. So yeah, I would love a Steam Deck. I, I was actually, I was riding, I was on the plane for another trip a couple months ago and there was a guy seeing me uh, next to me who was playing it and i i try i tried to mind everyone's you know space and not really not really talk to anyone on on the plane because like i don't know how people are and it gets awkward because you're sitting next to somebody and you're like oh we're gonna talk for the entire flight um but at a certain point <laughs> i was just like hey is a steam deck and and he was very nice he was like yeah he's like uh, you want to hold it so i like held in my hands for a minute and i was surprised how light it was because you look at it and you think it's going to be this yeah, like yeah. fucking girthy thing and it's just like it's actually just a lot of like feels i mean it feels sturdy but it feels like there's a decent amount of air in there which actually isn't such a bad thing so especially for a first gen attempt because obviously the design of the thing is very much and it invokes feelings of a first attempt a first successful attempt at a device like this but like you say if it's already that light it it matters a lot because of the size of the thing. Like if it was heavy and that size, it would be pretty difficult to kind of get working in people's hands correctly, even if it does only have like a two hour battery life for kind of challenging games and stuff. But um, it, it is a, a cool device and it was the perfect go-to for me for returning to, to Need for Speed Underground 1 and 2 to, to break the veil, of course, about what we're talking about today. <laughs> um, we did, of course, cover a lot of Need for Speed with Casey, um, and, and she was able to give some great inputs on that series. And uh, yeah, I think at the time, the reason we said we would kind of skip over Underground is because everybody had talked about it, but now with Unbound on its way, it feels as if it's the perfect time to actually give it a discussion. And well, I, I know for sure you've got a lot to say about these games, Adam, which I'm really curious to hear about as well. <laughs> Yeah, so in, in the run-up to this show, um, I actually had, I, I picked up Need for Speed Underground 2 early in the pandemic when I was just looking, when we were all looking for things to do, right? And I, I played it a little bit, but I didn't play it a lot, and it just didn't stick with me. So when we decided that we were going to do this show, I was like, all right, let me, let me kind of fire these games back up again. And... Um, I played, I played both. Um, I didn't play either a lot because I've been super busy, admittedly. Um, I, I played, you know, hours of each, but uh, part of the reason that I got stuck, especially with the second one, was because, um, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of, like, game progression issues that they 
needed to figure out and this being like one of the first open world racing games uh at least like modern open world racing games with underground 2 they were definitely like on their way to figuring that out so i don't like i, I was kind of outspoken in almost like a, a shit posty way about uh how i felt about these games and i don't think they're yeah. bad games at all i really don't like it might surprise people um it's just that <laughs> We all have that problem, right, with Need for Speed, where it's like it tends to dominate the conversation when it maybe doesn't deserve to completely. Like a lot of people are are annoyed that like Most Wanted, the original Most Wanted these days, because it's just like we saw it with the time extend uh, with the bracket, like Racing Madness, like the M3 GTR is ubiquitous. Yeah. People come in say it's the best racing game ever made. If you played lots of our racing games, chances are you may you may view it highly and it is a very good game but you might be like hey what about you know xyz uh that's kind of how i feel i i actually really do love most wanted 2005 a lot it is one of my favorite racing games of all time but that's kind of how i feel about underground in a nutshell it's a little it's a little overhyped just a little bit uh but but that's but that's where i'm at and i'm of course coming to this as someone who like i don't have the nostalgia that a lot of people have for mm -hmm. Underground because I skipped these games when they came out. So I'm interested to hear oh, about okay. your background with this brand. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was very much a, a childhood experience and, and quite a quite a prominent one as well, actually. It was the, the game of the playground, so to speak, when it came out. Um, distinctly remember post the kind of the, the festive period when it came out, a lot of people in, in my primary at the time got it. And it would be what we talked about during break. Like everybody would talk about Need for Speed Underground and, and talk about the fact that their their dad had the Corsa that was in the game or or that sort of thing, like in terms of starter cars and all that sort of thing. So there was there was definitely a a buzz for this game that was probably the first time for me outside of Gran Turismo that a, a mainstream racing game really kind of pierced the ether in terms of mainstream conversation. So there is a lot of that to get over for me when I return to these games because it's viewing it through that lens. And I'll be honest, every time I hear that EA track sanitized version of the fucking iconic song, like it's just it's an absolute blast of the past because before we get started on the serious stuff, there's a pretty funny story about me with that song where it's like You're talking about Get Low, right? Oh yeah, of course Get Low. Okay, yeah, right. Sorry. I sometimes <laughs> just figure it doesn't have to be mentioned. Just want to um, <laughs> so obviously this game was the introduction to this song for me and it's the first time I'd heard it and it was pretty much the only place I was hearing it because well I, I wasn't I wasn't going to listen to songs like that when I was younger in terms of explicit versions and stuff I wasn't even allowed to play GTA for the for many many years right right so I remember the first year at university I went to like a house party and the song was playing and I was like oh man I, I fucking love this song it's fantastic <laughs> and then it gets to the kind of the main chorus where, of course, it's changed to dash, 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 and it just like copy pastes that over the lyrics. Yeah. And that, like, literally when I was 19, that was the first time I'd ever heard the non-censored version. So I didn't have a clue that that part was even censored in the song because the only time I'd ever listened to the song, I heard it when it was in Need for Speed Underground when I played it when I was younger. So, like, for at least a, well, best part of a decade, I was under the assumption that was the correct version of the song. So, and then of course it wasn't. So so we all know what is being said in the actual version of the song. I actually, because yeah. I, 
when I started Underground, I didn't know that Get Low was like the title track for Need for Speed Underground. So when I heard that immediately, I was just like, I just died laughing. But how does the censored (laughs) version go? Because I thought it seemed to me that they, they only censored the cussing, but they actually left all of the slang that is really just as bad. But maybe I wasn't paying full attention. There is quite a few changes, I think, and if there is a YouTube version, we should definitely listen to it after the pod, just to, on stream, just so you can hear it. Um, this is actually something that really annoys me, right? Like, see for everything the internet archives, and like, keeps track of and old old commercials, old lost media, all that type of stuff. There isn't a YouTube channel that catalogues all the censored versions of EA tracks, because there are some absolutely hilarious examples in there, and obviously, Need for Speed Underground is one of them. Um, but we should listen to it, but there's quite a lot of changes, like they kind of cut over some lyrics and just completely censor others, but they also change the context of some of the lyrics as well, if I remember right, so it is quite different. Okay, that's interesting, because I was hearing like, um, they they censor over the B word, but I thought I I heard them still say, uh, let's just sweat drop down my balls. I thought I kept hearing that, but maybe maybe I wasn't hearing that, okay. All the, that whole section, they just repeat the the part of the vocal. Damn, dish, 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 okay. They, they just, they just, they just elongate it so it covers mm. the entire like interjections from Mister Lil John, I suppose. Um. Wow. All right, because <laughs> yeah, I, I guess what it is is I my exposure to that song, um, which actually is. I mean, it's pretty cursed being a little kid and hearing that. And I guess if you if you don't know when they censor it, it's whatever. But the first yeah. time I heard that song, I, I might have heard it before this, but the first time I can remember was actually at my eighth grade dance, like end of the year <laughs> dance. Somebody, some adult wow. DJ thought it would be okay to play this song in a room full of 13 and 14 year olds, which... Is, is about as bad a thing as you can do. But they did it because of Me First Speed Underground. I guess so. It makes sense. I guess so. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's... Uh, yeah, but I mean, what what can be said, right? What what hasn't been said about Lil Jon's Get Low? It's a wonderful song. And uh, yeah, yeah the, the soundtracks in these games... and I uh, This might be like the most positive thing I say about these games. Um, but like, they're... They're just fun. There's, I'm kind of amazed. Like, I remember with Burnout Three, uh, either no, I I think it was Burnout Revenge. Burnout Revenge had Dance Dance by Fallout Boy, and I remember that when I heard that song, like I I played the game, and Revenge probably came out at the end of the year because it was it tended to be one of those like tentpole holiday releases, and then like in early of the like in january of the next year all of a sudden i heard like dance dance everywhere like and and that was when fallout boy became like the biggest band in the world and i feel like they were almost really good at finding these things maybe like people okay people who were listening to like rap at the time right maybe they knew about this song but like it hadn't cracked the mainstream and they're able to find that moment just before it did and capitalize on it and this game was probably you know part of the reason why i mean uh for all of my personal issues at the time with like oh Need for Speed's going tuner and everything and I love Hot Pursuit 2 this was like a really smart move in like every possible way like I totally understand why they did it and um that's kind of reflected in the soundtrack too yeah absolutely and I think it was a 
was a trend with EA in general, wasn't it? Across like the SSX and stuff as well. I feel as if they were really good at identifying these tracks that would then become popular. And there's obviously a few kind of Need for Speed exclusive tracks in here. I think Petey Pablo has a song called Need for Speed in the soundtrack as well. And yeah. I think the soundtrack is a really core part of the overall culture of the game and, and to bring it back to overall thoughts about this, the, the first game especially yeah, that kind of vibe of the game was something that in the mainstream people just assumed had never been done before and, and it kind of popularised it from that I'm not sure how close in tandem this released to Fast and Furious the first film or like what kind of era they shared, but it definitely feels as if there was a capitalization on that part. Yeah, when, when was the first Fast and Furious? That's that's definitely worth looking up because, yeah, this this is when street racing and that whole tuner thing culture just just exploded in the mainstream. So so this game would have come out underground would have been two thousand three, the first one. So two years after after the first Fast and Furious. And those movies were releasing, yeah. that would have been the same year as the second Fast and Furious. So, yeah, uh, just a, a, a smart move all around. I understand why they did it. Looking through the soundtrack again, um, I think it's funny that they, they relegate this, like, old idea that, like, you, like, hip-hop is good for, you know, when you're browsing the menus and stuff like that and you're tuning your ride. But if you want real... If you want real, you know, muscle and, 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 and adrenaline, you need to listen to some rock. Um, but I actually, like, one of the first things I did was I turned on, because you can choose where the songs play, and I was like, no, I want to hear yeah. Get Low when I'm driving. Why wouldn't I want that? <laughs> like, come on. Um, and there's actually, I love the the website Need for Speed Soundtrack, because it's such a great repository for the soundtracks of every single racing game that's ever been released. And um, yeah. there are a number of songs that were supposed to be in the game and were deleted. There were... Uh, most deaf, uh, Miss Fat Booty 2 with Ghostface Killer, which the original Miss Fat Booty is like one of my favorite rap songs ever. It's just a phenomenal song. Um, Talib Kweli and, and some more Most Def and KRS One. There's a lot of stuff that didn't make it to the final game for whatever reason, which is kind of disappointing. I wonder if it was the eligibility of enough censorship in terms of. Yeah maintaining the spirit of the song and that sort of thing whilst also removing the lyrics that had to be removed i do yeah. love the fact that they tried so hard to get these types of songs in there though yeah i mean it wasn't that surprising to me to hear a song like get low in this game because need for speed hot pursuit 2 which i've said numerous times is like my favorite need for speed and one of my favorite racing games ever uh the the hot action cop songs in that game are they're just as bad um, they're they're probably yeah. worse if if you think about the songs contextually a little bit more. But for those songs, they replaced every single lyric was replaced with, um, you know, they, they they made the song. They changed it from being about women to being about, you know, driving on the limit and and going through the turns and all this shit. And then they also added a bunch of like improvisational lyrics that were just syllables that didn't make any sense. So EA <laughs> EA definitely knew what they were doing here. That's for sure. Yeah, like I say, that I really would. If I had the means and time to do it, I think there is there's a lot of mileage potentially for an account dedicated to cataloging all the censored versions of EA song because there's, there's some absolute classics even from NHL and stuff over the years that are just incredible. Um, yeah, but yeah, back to back to Need for Speed Underground. Um, yeah, so I, I mostly played through the first game. Adam, you kind of focus more on the second game. 
on our kind of revisit of the series. Um, did you get around to playing the first game as well? Yeah, I actually, I played a decent amount of the first game. The beauty of oh, the okay. first game yeah. is it's so kind of simple that I felt like I played it for like, I just played it for like a solid five, six hour sitting one day and I was like, right, that's, that's Need for Speed Underground. Um, but but yeah, I'll let you continue on it. <laughs> no, absolutely. So um, I spent a lot of time playing the first game and basically tried beating it for the first time since uh, completing it in tandem with my cousin way, way back. Um, naturally, I didn't actually quite get to the end. Um, not not just because of time constraints, but we'll get on to the, the AI side of things mm. of this game in quite some time. Um, but yeah, my return to this game has been one that has been very enjoyable but also one that gets very repetitive very fast. I think when you kind of first play the game, I really appreciated the linearity of it because it was just like, here's three races, go do these races, here's here's how you earn upgrades and stuff. But once you once you see the pattern of how the game actually progresses, you really start to see where it's pretty rigid and just not that enjoyable for what yeah. the game's supposed to be about. So it's supposed to be about customization and supposed to be about kind of performance enhancements to your cars and, and going through the ranks that sort of thing but then mm -hmm. the game's progression actually unfolds in a way that is very iterative anyway so like it isn't until you get to the very late game you can start to have actually a bit more freedom to build what you want to build um compared to just what you've recently unlocked and naturally plugging that on to build up your reputation bar for the cars um when it came to the customization side of things, I'll be honest, during the career playthrough, I didn't really give it that much mind in the end, because if you go into quick race anyway, you can just build your dream cars out, which is pretty cool. You get access to, to everything minus the cars you unlock yeah. later on. Um, but in terms of actual career progression, it, it was so iterative that it definitely felt as if Black Box were coming from the type of game they had made previously as opposed to what is required for a street racer and, and why that is appealing. I feel as if, ironically, Underground is probably the, like, even though it was the entry point for it, it definitely feels like it because it's it's just too iterative for this type of game experience, I would say. It's a really interesting game because you, you look at the design, the visual design of it and what it's about and the furniture of it, and they present you with a full map and you think, okay, open world street racer, right? But it's not open world and it's, it, yeah. it's like they were kind of relying on you, like, like games of a previous generation to sort of connect the dots in your head make it feel yeah. like it was a bigger experience than it actually was where in reality i would say this game it is it is just very iterative and it's just like you have a, a bucket of events you do them you move on to the next thing sometimes you have to upgrade your car to qualify for the next class of events uh sometimes those require visual modifications um which is something i really don't like but we can get into that later <laughs> um but it's, in some ways, it actually feels kind of smaller than Hot Pursuit 2 because you don't have the variability yeah. of, of pursuits. You know, those are out of the game. Um, you have, like, dr the drifting mode, which was novel for the time and I, I find fun. But those almost kind of feel like mini games because, like, the tracks you're on are just very... It, it feels like you're driving around... Uh, uh, God, what's the map from Call of Duty with the shipping containers? I can't remember what the hell it's called, but it's like you're just driving. I think it's just called Shipment. Oh, Shipment, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like it's like you're driving around Shipment. It's like this is, you yeah. know, to devote a whole mode when you were going to only do this with it feels a little bit, you know, uh, not not what it should be. Um, and again, like the 
in terms of like fundamentals, like I think the physics are fine. Um, the you know graphically, it's I think with the first game you benefit where they're not trying to do too much. So while there are frame drops, they are reasonable. And I think I actually found because I was emulating the GameCube version when I played Underground One that like when I switched into the uh, bumper cam that the frame rate was much smoother which i don't know if that was a quirk of emulation or if that's how the game actually played on original hardware but i thought that was pretty funny um and yeah it's it, it's funny it really surprisingly feels and because it's black box and it's built off off of their technology for need for speed underground to uh sorry for need for speed hot pursuit 2 there it was funny how there were so many moments and just like watching the way the cars move and just the physics and that camera, whenever you like go into the air, you crash into a car where I was like, yeah, this feels like it's built atop the technology of the previous game, but they just moved it to a different place. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was a perfectly serviceable experience for me, but I mean, as someone who grew up with different street racers, I, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, didn't sink its hooks in me. Yeah, I think like there's kind of fat scout in the chat there is just said like this is the game that tries to ham up the alleviate the illegalness of all of this and the the underground racing scene and all of that mm. type of thing, but it does actually drop things like the police, the hot pursuits. It almost creates this more kind of structured environment followed by structural game design as well because there's the the magazine system, which serves like no purpose really, yeah. as well like in terms of like. It, it's some sort of variation, I guess, on the gameplay, but really, the issue I find with this game, and Underground 2 does remediate it quite a bit, it's just, it's too kind of iterative and progressive for it to actually feel like some sort of underground racing scene when it is so structured like that, and, and we've said it a, a million times, we do love a linear uh, racing game, mm. but because the kind of MO of this game is more about trying to harness that underground racing culture and the street racing side of it, and even compare against like Toyo Extreme Racer and that sort of thing, there's there's like a definite gap in terms of what those games were going for and what this game is going for. Um, I, I did actually enjoy the racing side of it up until a certain point. Like I feel as if the, the driving's actually pretty fun. I do actually quite like the drift mode as well, if not for the ridiculousness of the scores you can set and stuff from the <laughs> yeah. the drifting. Like it does get pretty intense as well because of the the rubber band AI also impacts that mode in some capacity, yep. so you can get in some crazy heated battles even if you're absolutely smashing it. And um, drag racing, I'm not a big fan of drag racing, I never really have in games. I'll anyway. actually say, the drag racing mode in this game I think is one of the best drag drag racing modes of any game that's okay. tried to do it. Because like, you'll see a lot of games will do the R-Racing Evolution thing where it's like drag racing, but ultimately <laughs> you're just pressing the accelerator and going straight and if you're using yeah. manual transmission then there's that too uh but this game they force you to use manual which makes a lot of sense um there's kind of like a, a little bit of a of a golf meter style mini game to like getting your revs where they need to be when you take off uh and then you have the you know modern mobile game equivalent of you know picking your lane uh having to move joss uh, jostle from like left to right uh, to avoid, you know, various uh, kind of non-player cars and other obstructions and things like that and drafting. So 
it is one of those things that honestly you just do the same event over and over again until you memorize okay that's where that truck's gonna be all right i'll move over here uh but it feels more substantial than you know the way that drag racing tends to go in a lot of racing games so i actually yeah i actually didn't mind it yeah i think the kind of concept is obviously very unique compared to games that are racing that would do it uh, maybe it's just because I was terrible at it. I didn't quite get on with it as much. It, it can be it hard. Every time I, yeah. Yeah, especially when the traffic ramps up mm -hmm. in the later stages, it can be a reset for the best in terms of hoping that the the opponents go into the traffic and not you. Um, they, they save all of their traffic in in this game for the uh, drag racing. I mean, that's that's always my my gripe with open world need for speeds is the cities feel desolate and the only time they yeah. don't feel desolate in this game is when you're doing drag racing because then every <laughs> single person that day decides to be on the road yeah exactly that's it uh, it's, it's actually pretty funny like with the, the traffic in this game because obviously they have the massive neon indicators for where the circuit is mm -hmm. and then like the traffic cars just go right through them and i wonder if it's just like these guys traveling home from work and stuff, and they're like, oh, there's the street racers out with their neon signs again. <laughs> I wonder who will stop them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it just it just feels too safe. The first game, it doesn't really actually kind of embody the underground racing scene enough in terms of what they're going for. Actually, the gameplay is fun for me. I do enjoy it. It gets repetitive as the game goes on. It's actually, it's weird saying it, but it just feels like a few hours too lengthy as well. Mm. There comes a point where you feel as if you're kind of getting that crescendo of the gameplay and getting to the final boss races and that sort of thing. And it just sort of keeps going and then that's when the the kind of the, the, um, the rubber band AI really kicks up a gear. And I like the physics in this game, but it's weird. I feel as if Black Box racing games in general have this issue where they just don't they, they become really frustrating in close counter races for me yeah. i feel as if like the collision physics and stuff can be real killers and as soon as you make one slight mistake and the kind of environment collision elements can be amazingly frustrating like i remember i get caught off guard revisiting this game because i hit a tree and just assumed to go right through it because I've been playing Forza Horizon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just immediate standstill, like, nah, you're not going anywhere, kid. Um, lost like a seven second lead. <laughs> there's there's one track when you start the game that comes up a couple of times in like the first series of races, and it's got like it passes a building that looks kind of like a museum or something, and it has these angled steps. And I kept like as I would drive past it the way like those steps kind of come to a point right in the apex of a corner and as I've played a lot of Midnight Club lately like old school Midnight Club and other games I'm like oh if I just hit that I can just like continue going and hop over it and clip that for the for the apex but no it will stop you dead it's <laughs> I, I, I think like these Black box games were very rigid in terms of, you know, you look at Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 and the engine that they had for that, and it wasn't the kind of game where you could go anywhere because it was a linear circuit racer. And this game, even though they kind of use similar assets for everything because it builds out into a big city, is still a linear circuit racer. And so you can't go everywhere. Um, and it makes the game, it's that moment that reminds you like, all right, I'm playing an old Need for Speed. You know, it's not like you ever have that yeah. moment of surprise where it's like, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just jumped over that or whatever. Where like, 
I would feel that way playing like Midnight Club 2 and 3 so many times because those maps yeah. were just teeming with secrets and stuff. And I feel like when people talk to me or just in general about like why they love these games so much, I feel like no one really ever talks about the city. And I feel like that's almost an admission that it's because it's not very interesting. These, I don't know, I, I just, a, a game like this, especially a second game, which is open world, they need to have a really good city as a base. And, and if you don't have that, like, open world that just makes you want to keep, like, finding every corner of the map and, and give you set pieces to look at and be like, oh, that's really cool. If you don't have that, then, then everything just kind of feels almost a little bit pointless. I think as well, the the risk-reward of shortcuts in this game is so heavily skewed towards risk yeah. that it does yeah. become um, very difficult to justify trying to explore the, the linear tracks as much as possible because you mentioned the word jump in there and gave me Vietnam-style flashbacks of, of trying to actually take the shortcuts that require jumps in this game because when you get cars that are fast enough and you try and take those shortcuts, you better be sure that you go in at the right trajectory mm -hmm. and you better be sure that you're at the right speed as well because it seems like Black Box watched uh, the first Fast and Furious film and seen like the the Super and the Charger jump over the railway track with the, the cool camera angle yeah. and, the, and they went, oh, we want that in our game. And it means that anytime you do a jump, you get that camera angle where it kind of pivots mm -hmm. to the front and shows you your car jumping. Yep. But I think I, I would be very surprised if more people than not can say for sure that it always looked cool and didn't look as if they'd absolutely fucked up the jump. Which is <laughs> like the car flying vertically through the air and yeah. spinning or, or falling it's, to it's pieces. Like the, the or... way that the shot is angled, the car is supposed to be in one place and it's not in that place at all. It's actually over <laughs> here, facing the wrong direction, flying against the wall. Yeah. Um, my, my Peugeot 206 and more often than not mid-spin or fucking yeah. vertical smashing off the ground that was skill issue of course <laughs> right <laughs> it's, it's so hard you know it's so interesting hard. you bring that up because that was a big thing with Hot Pursuit 2 was uh, they really were proud of this idea of alternate paths and they, they that word choice to describe that is very deliberate because they didn't mean shortcuts not every single yeah. path you took was going to save you time or be advantageous for you to win the race and sometimes it would even like it would be a path that would take you off asphalt so you would have less grip and if you weren't as good a driver then it would be difficult to navigate and that did make Hot Pursuit 2 feel very special but I feel like there's a limit to that right it's like you gotta some of the shortcuts have to be gimmies and some of them can be like, Oh, this looks good, but it's actually not going to help you. Yeah. And if you just make every single path that way, then like, what's the point, right? I'll just, I'll just stick to the street. Um, so I, I definitely understand what you're saying when you say like risk yeah. and skewing more towards risk than reward. It also gets to that point as well, where the, the rubber banding is an intentional part of the, the game design. And if you take a shortcut, that time gets made back up anyway, like by the next straight or something. So it did get to the point where by not taking the shortcuts, I wasn't doing myself an injustice in terms of trying to win the race, unless of course the, the AI were ahead of me and took that shortcut. But whenever I was in the lead, I would kind of purposely try to avoid them just because it was, it, yeah. it was just like, you, you either get it right or you've mucked up your full race. And rubber band and AI is relatively fine in the sense that if it goes both ways but in this game it is very much a case of like if you're in the lead they will catch you but if you fall behind it, it is very hard to come back into the race and 
in the later races, while it's intense, it does get kind of frustrating because you kind of have to restart every time you make a fuck up, that sort of thing. And the rubber banding too, uh, because it's so severe and one-sided, it really puts a damper on what tuning your vehicle, what upgrading it's going to actually do for you. I saw some people in the Discord saying like, yeah, ultimately it doesn't really matter if you upgrade your car because like the AI will just rise to that level of speed. Um, and when I started uh, Underground 1, I chose a Dodge Neon just because I thought it was <laughs> hilarious that the, a Dodge Neon was in a racing game and it wasn't the SRT4. I thought that was really funny. And I needed to pick a Dodge Neon because my I grew up on like awful Chrysler cars. My family kept buying them. Um, but like, yeah, I didn't want to upgrade my Neon at all because I just wanted to save my money for a better car. And I also yeah. thought all of the visual customizations look terrible but there comes a point in the game where you have to buy it's not just like oh your car needs to be a little faster it's like you need to buy every upgrade that's available now if you want to move to the next series of races and yeah. it just i god i hated that like i really don't like it when the game's like and, and i mean need for speed underground 2 i remember because that was the first one i played out of these two games like two years ago and like when i found it, it's like oh i have to get my rating up to a certain level i'm like that would be fine if the parts in this game didn't look terrible, but they look so bad. So like, and they're, they're also like, they look bad because they're just generic parts. They're not actually like, they don't pertain to any car. They're just reused for every single car. Yeah. Um, except some of the more custom, you know, one-off vehicles and things like that. So I have, I, I enjoy customization and stuff like that in racing games when it's done really well and the parts look great like they do in Tokyo Extreme Racer or something like that. You know, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I think as well, whilst we're kind of talking a bit about Underground 2, we can probably pivot to just focus on that now as well because there's not much else to be said for the first game. Sure. Um, it's definitely has its place in racing game history. I think it's uh, kind of cultural impact is probably, it's a bigger footprint than say Midnight Club's attempts to, to that point, but Midnight Club up until that point definitely had the upper hand, I think, in terms of what they were putting out there gameplay-wise. Yeah, um, and I was someone who, as we talked about in the Midnight Club show, which wasn't that long ago, at least in the episode count, um, I played Midnight Club 2, had a great time with it. Midnight Club 3 was where I absolutely fell in love with the series. And um, honestly, I when I play these games, I'm just like, I, I just wish like Midnight Club did this. Why couldn't they do it? Like, that's a, that's a feeling I keep having when I play Underground, for better or worse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with Underground 2, you know, I, I feel like the first game... Sometimes you have that sense where like a game, the the first kind of attempt in like a series or in this case, you know, kind of a sub-series of Need for Speed. The first attempt is not what, you know, the developers want it to be. And it's not like there was any issue with development or anything like that. So they didn't have the time and they, they had this grand vision, yeah. but they were never going to get there in the first run. And... 2 feels like the completion of that. 2 actually feels like a big game where there is a lot to do. And 1, it almost feels like the Ridge Racer 6 to Ridge Racer 7 thing. It's like you guys released sort of like a demo really early and it's really impressive that this demo sold super yeah. well. But 2 is where you see those ideas start to come to life. And um, yeah. it actually amazed me because of how different conceptually the two games are 
being rigid and open world, like how how different they feel, even though the physics and stuff are very similar. They, it's honestly amazing that there's only like a year separating them. Yeah, I think if like you were to get modern remasters of these two games, you could probably get away with calling the first game Prologue, yeah. and then changing Need for Speed Underground 2 to Need for Speed Underground, right. and it would have that kind of relationship, because obviously even the start of Need for Speed Underground 2 kind of takes on from where the first game left off, but of course you're still starting from scratch again, just the way it goes in any street racing form of media, like whenever there's a sequel or something, it's like every one of your efforts before is gone, um, but yeah, two right away scope wise, you absolutely notice the difference. Um, there's just it, comparing them is weird because two does feel as if it's a game that if you really like the linearity of the first game and that's why you were playing it, like two would have just caught you so far by surprise because there's just a lot more going on here, and it does actually feel more like a realization of the concept, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, I. I still find it very weird playing Underground 2 because I still feel as if the physics are still more geared towards closed circuit racing, if that makes any sense. Mm. Like, I don't I don't really feel as if it's a game that encourages the exploration of the city and stuff, and I know game design-wise it's still very early days as far as, like, kind of open-world game design went and such, so you're not going to see, like, I don't know, like, Burnout Paradise's billboards and that sort of thing sure. throughout, but it's... The city itself definitely still feels as if it's built for the races as opposed to a kind of living place that the, the story is taking place in. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how this being Black Box's first attempt at, at a truly open world game, um, you can kind of skip the open world portions to a certain extent because there is a, there's always a list of, of core races that you can access from your garage yeah. and just go straight to. But then there's other events that you, you actually have to browse the map for. And I think like th there are a lot of aspects of this game that feel kind of rough. And I, I, I don't think it's because they like, you know, I, I don't think it's because they didn't think about it. I, I think it's because they, I mean, it is because they didn't think about it, but not, not out of like a, a genuine like pointed lack of care from the beginning. It's that they didn't anticipate the problems that like players were going to have. So like, honestly like it, it progression as far as i made in this game which is not very far has taken ages because like there are points where it's like i did i thought they did all the races oh i have to do these races with like the x marks on the map they're not accessible from the garage okay so i'll i'll go and do those and then i'm still waiting like i'm still like okay what i'm waiting for a text or something on my singular wireless phone like why can't i move on to the next thing um <laughs> It's like, oh, I have to upgrade my car. It's a low visual. Oh, yeah, let me go do that. So I, I did that. I'm like, still nothing? Like, I, you know, it, <laughs> these are things that developers had to figure out. The only way they figured them out was by, you know, players having issues. Uh, so I totally get it. But, you know, I, I had to dig into some FAQs, very, very old FAQs from when the game came out <laughs> to figure out what to do. Yeah. And there there's a section of this first one I found on GameFAQs that's just, just devoted to like, all right, so you're stuck at 19%. Have you done this? Have you done this? If you haven't done this, maybe try this. If you've done all those things, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's pretty frustrating because, you know, today we yeah. can look back on it with the perspective of, like, if you just have, like, some sort of place that a player can go to to see, like, this is the, the thing you need to do that would solve every problem. But, you know, they were figuring it out as they went along, clearly. 
I guess from Black Box's perspective as well, it's the first time they tried something like this, and um, I guess minor hot take within the episode. I don't think any of Black Box's open world games truly shines to me. Mm. Um, I'm just not really a fan of their games when they do take out of that environment that much, for, with the exception of Carbon. I really like Carbon. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a podcast episode in its own right, I guess. But yeah, I mean. Chris has just said in the Twitch chat as well about the hidden races along the map, yeah. which of course would help with the progression and that sort of thing, but I think like that, that kind of plays into this idea that I like the, the mystique of finding that sort of thing, but it's also good to have slightly more kind of slight hints kind of guiding you there. And I imagine there are some, maybe some texts and stuff that come through the singular phone, I can't remember. They give but... you, I mean the problem with that is they give you so much stuff, especially early in the game. It's like, have you tried turning off traction control? It's like, I just want to, can you just tell me what to do? Like, not like, <laughs> walk me through the options. Um, there's like, there... there's an entailed attitude, mate. Yeah, there's, uh, there's cars that like, roam the map that you can just challenge to you know an impromptu street race and uh the way that that they're called like outrun events which is funny in its own right and the way that they work in this game is it's sort of the tokyo extreme racer thing because like you you want to be ahead of your rival for a certain length of time but it's actually it's not length of time so much as it's like actual distance so like you need to build a massive gap to the guy you're racing against in order to beat him. And these events, they they are of like dubious significance to like campaign like progression. So I, I've been avoiding them for the most part, but like it's because of the rubber banding, which is still in this game. It's so hard. Yeah. It took me like 12 minutes to win the first one I did. And I only won it because like I was able to force this guy into this part of the map. It like wedged into a corner where there was no way the AI was going to figure out how to get out of this. That's the only way I was able to beat them. Cause like I would get a gap of, you know, you, you need a gap of probably like eight to 10 seconds. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of funny how like those things that you don't expect to to really phase you much end up being like the most difficult aspects of the game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, especially once again once you get into the later game elements. Um, the difficulty of these games, it's good to go back to a time, I guess, when it isn't just all on your plate. I think one of the the biggest issues with racing games nowadays is you've either got games that just tell you to make your own difficulty, or you have games that are just way too easy from start to finish. Black Box is kind of original too. Underground games for me are definitely up there in terms of it really does push you to focus and actually concentrate on the driving quite a lot, which yeah. is a positive, I suppose. Um, but the the rubber banding can get very frustrating once again. And I think, like for me, upon revisiting the game as well, I I feel like the driving engine here is still really fun and. For me that's important because I feel as if when you move to an open world type game you're going to have a lot of dull travel in between mm -hmm. so it's good that the physics do feel still very tight and stuff it's just that they don't actually feel geared towards exploration as daft as that sounds but the good thing is the city is fairly kind of horizontal in nature there isn't much verticality yeah. in terms of hidden areas to find or jumps and that sort of well, massive jumps and that sort of thing so it's 
yeah, for me, I feel as if with Underground 2, it was very much a case of this is what the first game should probably be, and therefore my but my opinion felt very similar. The expansion of the concept is obviously good to see, but I don't think it was a case where if you really didn't like the racing in the first game, you're probably not going to you're probably going to feel the same in the second game. I would say. Yeah, and and should add to that. Um... Acquire 86 mentioned here that the, those outrun events that we were talking about, uh, they could give you special parts, which are horrible, but they give you a lot of reputation. Um, but that's a toss up, right? Whether you're going to get those or not. And like, if they're horrible parts, like it's again, it's a thing where it's like, well, I have to use this so like for rep um, or for visual for to, to achieve a certain rating, but you may not want to. Um, it, th these games have a lot of quirks like that. One thing I will commend the second one on is like, and, and I wanted to talk about this with the first game, but we didn't, uh, we weren't able to get to it, but we can, we can discuss it now retroactively is the car list. I find the yeah. car list in the first one is baffling and the second one actually gets it to where it needs to be. But like the first one is so interesting because it's a pretty short list. I think it's only like 20, like maybe just over 20 cars or something like that. And they're all the stock versions, for the most part, yeah. of famous cars, like, of you know, performance cars, right? Uh, especially JDM stuff. So, like, you know, you have you have a Lancer, a Mitsubishi Lancer sedan, but you don't have the Evo. It's just like, <laughs> now, now, sometimes yeah. that's fun. Sometimes that's kind of neat. Yeah, um, <laughs> but the Lancer sedan is like the saddest base model of any car, I think, ever. Like... Yeah. Like, having a Impreza 2.5 RS, which is in this game, like, that's cool. Like, just a, a regular bug eyes in SCI. I'm like, okay, I'm all right with that. But, like, the the base Lancer is just sad. Um, yeah. You can make a cool sleeper car, though, which is, is decent. Like, right. You wouldn't expect it to have evil-like performance. Uh, yeah. It's pretty strange. <laughs> a lot of these cars are just, um, yeah, they're they're just base models of, of cars. Yeah. Uh, you also, so yeah, you don't have the WRX SCI, you don't have the Evo, but then you do have like, you have a Mark IV Supra and the and R34 GTR, which I imagine that R34 GTR, I haven't gotten to a point in the game where I could drive that, it must be so much faster stock than everything else. But, you know, you could take pretty much anything to the top in this game, right? So, yeah. yeah that, I guess yeah. that is a good positive about it at some point, because... The game already struggles from a lack of variation and like custom elements, so the fact that you can kind of pave your own career path, I think somebody in our Discord said they were trying to do a stock neon run through the entire game, <laughs> and the fact that you can do that is pretty commendable to a certain extent, but if you want to be critical, the, the flip side of that is that there's genuinely no point in trying to, outside of those events that mandatorily require it, there's no point in applying customizations and that sort of thing since you can kind of get through the majority of the game just by using the stock car. Yeah. So, you know, going from that to the second game where there's, you know, the list looks like it's basically double, just like quickly scanning it. And now you actually have the Evo uh, 8, as it were. And, um, you know, the you have a 3000 GT, Pontiac GT. You actually have performance cars now, uh, which is nice. Um, one thing that we should have touched on is that there were a few cars that were uh exclusive per region and actually yeah. one of those was the corsa uh or the yeah. <laughs> the corsa what, what car do you say you started with was it that or so, so i started with the 206 the peugeot i think that's in all the versions yes yeah that one's yeah, in the, all the, the Vauxhall versions. corsa yeah 
and then the Opal, I think it will be the Opal Corsa for European versions as well. I don't know if they got the Vauxhall or it was rebranded to Opal. I think they did depending on where in Europe the game was, uh, yeah. was released or maybe what language you selected. But yeah, I think that was pretty funny. Also, the Peugeot 106 uh, in 2, which is like... Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to drive a PJ 106. The 106 yes. is such a cute so car. Cool. It's great. I was so happy when I seen that. Like, it's one of the starter cars as well. It, Ooh, it actually yeah. it shows up, interestingly enough, just before the show I was playing UG2, and it shows up in like one of those like tooltip like loading screen things. And it's like, but I see that car. I'm like, that's not in the game though. Like, I can't. I in my version of the game. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So. So what? What? What exclusive did the American? Version so we have we had the Acura RSX, which is just the Integra, uh, the, yeah. the, you know that that generation Integra. That's we had we had the Honda Civic. Um, I'm just so yeah, scanning the list. The that, that Civic might, that SI might be, is yeah. in the first game, an underground though in Europe, isn't it? Like, because if I remember, unless it was just the version, maybe the version I was emulating actually, because I didn't go back to my actual hard copy. But I remember using the Civic in the first game, but maybe it was um, an American ROM. Yeah, I don't know. Where I'm looking now, I can't say. I was looking through all this yesterday, and I uh, the cutting room floor is a good is a good resource for this kind of thing always. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's only like two cars per region that are exclusive, but uh, when you want to drive 106 those cars... is the star there. I think yeah. that's like... Such an inspired choice as well. The course is an inspired choice, but not for the reason that oh everybody wants to drive it, just because it's like EA must have went, what's the most popular hatchback in the UK and in Europe, I guess. It must have been popular as Opal out there as well. Right. And they they've just put it in there because it sounds like it's a car you wouldn't expect to see in a racing game outside of Gran Turismo, for example. So it was really cool to see it in there. Um it 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 just looks so like shabby when you put all the mods and stuff on it though so it's a good laugh yeah i mean i i did not grow up in a place uh where where we had courses but i i am aware that it was very much like a you know kind of like a rite of passage of you know yeah the the, the tuner the tuner culture uh in europe at the time so that's pretty cute oh, absolutely i do i do appreciate that but then it's also kind of funny to see it driving around the place like you know what these are basically like like <laughs> LA or something, right? Yeah. So seems a little bit out of the place. Somebody's got a Corsa, naturally. Yeah, right. Just just in the middle of Hollywood. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this uh, now I'm back on that Need for Speed soundtrack website. The, the second game's got a lot of good stuff too. We have to say because the the uh, Snoop Dogg version of Riders on the Storm is oh, is an incredible masterpiece. Yeah, piece of art. <laughs> yeah, it's really oh, amazing. So good. You got Lean Back, another another uh, yep. banger. Um, I love uh, Skindred. The, the Skindred song's really good. Um, I've seen the band The Bronx, actually. It was the loudest concert I've ever been to in my life. They're, oh, wow. a, they're a punk band, and I couldn't hear for three days. Uh, also, the only time I've ever stage dove. So, uh, yeah, good picks in this game as well, has to be said. Yeah, I used to, the first time I played this game, I was like a, a massive fan of Celebration Song. I think it's Unwritten Law. Yeah, sing, yeah. Yeah, don't know why. Um, just, but what, it's always like, there's always one song, isn't there, for like, childhood games and it always just sticks in your head. And I just remember sitting outside the Bayview Burger King listening to Celebration Song. <laughs> Very odd memories. And 
And that is the type of daft shit that's hard not to recall when you revisit these games. Because when we were trying to write, when we were trying to do a podcast on it, talking about how it holds up and, and how well it plays and stuff, part of you does just want to throw everything to the wind and say, ah, it's an icon, like it's, right. it's Need for Speed Underground. But yeah, but it's, a, it's a game that once again left a huge cultural impact. And I think a lot of people credit Underground 2 as in like kind of mainstream type games fans and stuff would credit Underground 2 as being the open world racing game. Mm. Obviously, that's a discussion in its own right since Midnight Club is probably like Midnight Club doesn't personally, truth be told. Yeah. Um But like a lot of people would argue that Underground 2 is the first like, well not the not the first but rather the best game actually conveying that to a wider audience. But um I think that's the thing about Underground as a series, if we're talking about that side of things in terms of closing comments about the series as a whole. I think that it has a lot more cultural impact than other racing games within this space and it definitely, it was definitely Underground's influence that created all the kind of me too's I think in terms of game series that wanted to replicate that same type of environment, that same type of feel. I know Midnight Club was super popular as well, but I feel as if Underground was definitely like the the poster boy for this type of game. Yeah, I mean, this was the one. This was the one that I think most people played. This was the one that was also like truly multi-platform. Whereas, like, you didn't have a Midnight Club. Uh, Rockstar was not releasing games on on uh, GameCube, to my knowledge. Um, <laughs> this was the one that most people experienced, and uh, I don't know. In 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 my view, like. I, I think that, again, I think they're good games, but I just, I feel like there's something there that's lacking. Maybe it's, th- there's a sense of authenticity that we kept talking about with Midnight Club that I just don't get from this game. Um, it feels, and this is this is going to sound harsh, and and I again, I think it was a good idea to, to couch these games in this world. Um, it spoke to car culture, which has always been Need for Speed's thing of... This was the first time they did it, so it was received sort of weirdly from some people, myself included at the time. But like, it makes total sense why they went this direction. But it seems almost a little bit opportunistic for that same reason. You know, it seems like oh, absolutely. I I feel as if it's like it, it's street racing sponsored by capitalism. Like that, right. it feels you got like Best Buy around every me. corner. You got Burger King. There's like ads yeah. like everywhere, just constant ads. Um, yeah. And at the time, that was cool. Like, like, at the time, we didn't mind that. Yeah, but looking back. I mean, I love it. Like, there's a a particular billboard in the first game with the McDonald's fries, and every time I look at it, it just takes me back to a different time period, man. (laughs) It's just, like, the the contrast and, like, colour in those fries is just, oh, perfect. But even outside of those parts, like, if you think about the first game in terms of the upgrade packages you get, where it, like, lists, like, five manufacturers and stuff, like, oh, upgrade, pack one has Garetti, this, and and Brembo brakes, and all this type of stuff, and it's, like, it's just text on a screen. It doesn't actually materially impact anything, but that's the thing, like, I think the difference is Midnight Club was about the street racing culture and atmosphere, and, like you are saying, Need for Speed Underground was more of the opportunistic commercial side of this is something that's getting popular, this is something that's a big movement in terms of all these manufacturers, part makers, that sort of thing. And let's be honest, like that is a big deal even today in terms of 
if you play Forza Horizon 5 and you get a fucking Forza Tech body kit on something, you're like, oh, get, us, get us out of my face. <laughs> Whereas if it's like Rocket Bunny are doing right, a, a yeah. body kit for the GTA 6 or something, you're like, oh, that, that's the shit. Like, that's, that's what we want. And even though Underground never quite goes that far in terms of its depiction of those types of brands, it, it definitely showed that Black Box at least had an idea about what people who want that type of experience might want to see but maybe it isn't quite replicated in the actual gameplay look yeah and at the time you didn't have anything to compare it to so it was like just the fact that they let you change these parts on cars was enough for to be like wow okay like a level of personalization that just didn't exist in other games and they were even right to be like okay you know you have to do this to progress in the game because they want they wanted it to feel meaningful and they were also of the mind that, like, you're playing Need for Speed Underground. Why wouldn't you want to put a stupid body <laughs> kit on a Corsa? You know, that was that yeah. was the idea. So this is one of those games that just, like, it just wasn't for me. Um, and that's why I missed it uh, at the time. It's funny when you, uh, when you go back and sort of read some interviews. I, f- I found this one from IGN uh, in the lead up. This was at E3 before uh, the first Underground released. And they were, uh, they were talking to, like, the... Uh, main designer behind it and uh, they even go into like you know well how did how did black box end up on this and he was like well you know we we had uh, ea vancouver took a hard look at how we were developing our driving games and decided that in order to get the highest possible quality we needed to consolidate our resources so we brought in one of the best third-party developers in the world uh and we made them the backbone of the need for speed franchise and uh I don't know. I as someone who loves Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2, I think it's it is such a great game and I I like that they they became, you know, it's like right, you did an exceptional job. You are the Need for Speed guys now. Um it really speaks to the work that they did and I know yeah. the Black Box era wasn't always great. I know it started out really hot and it didn't really end there, but um you, you got to hand it to them for really I think cultivating the need for speed that people remember and love during the 2000s because if they didn't do this if they didn't change that series that series might be like you know might be PGR it might be you know name any racing game series that's gone by the wayside uh but they they stayed with the time so you know more more power to them yeah absolutely well, she were kind of looking at interviews and stuff as well, Adam, I did my usual and checked out some of the Metacritic yeah. reviews from the time and like at the very bottom of critical reviews, it's funny because this was a, a very high recurring trend in racing game reviews up until like 2012 I like to say, but basically Games TM gave it a 5 out of 10 the first game and said, boy racers will love ur- uh, Underground's edgy urban chic, otherwise you should stick with the less fashionable but ultimately more enjoyable Burnout 2. So it's just like that. Those are not like similar experiences, or like you don't have to choose yeah. one or the other. But it felt like for so long in racing games that was always the case. It was like, eh, you shouldn't play Ridge Racer. It's no Gran Turismo. It's no Gran Turismo. <laughs> I mean, even on the back yeah. of the Ridge Racer Type Four box, there was a quote from like Game Fan. They're saying like it puts GT2 the shame. Like what? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what. Both these games, no damage, which would have been hell to pay for any reviewer in the 2000s have a racing game without damage especially when hot pursuit had damage hot pursuit 2 had damage but they uh i imagine with all the parts and everything it was just they 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 hadn't put the resources into it um yeah yeah there's a there's a fantastic user review as well that i highlighted 
and I have to read it. So this was a, a 10 out of 10 hmm. from Ramesses D back in 2004. This game is the best ever because I street race in real life and it feels just <laughs> like that. <laughs> I dive in Integra, so that's my car. And Midnight Club 2 can suck my dick because you can't put your car how you want it in Midnight Club 2. So if you don't know how, if you don't know, now you know for sure. Oh my god. What was that? Oh god. <laughs> that one awful fan fiction that was like, I'm Gerard Way. Gerard Tiffany Way, do you know what I'm talking about? It's just like it's so. like a Harry Potter fanfiction. I can't remember what the hell it's called, but every anyone who's listening knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. Um, <laughs> that's what that's what that reminds me of. I I dive <laughs> in Integra. Oh boy. Yep. And then yeah, I feel as if those two reviews stood out to me the most because it had that kind of bingo card of a racing game being compelled against another racing game for no reason. And then that kind of brassness of just like flat out lying on the internet without a cause that you would see in the early 2000s. Just like, I street race in real life, I drive an Integra, just like throwing it out there. Yeah. Uh, well, Ramesses, I hope you still drive that Integra. I hope he I still, still has it, yeah. Yeah, I hope, he, I hope he's still doing well and, I don't know, maybe he can round to Midnight Club 2 eventually or <laughs> he's still like, he's not interested in that one. But uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time because I feel as if the... The games themselves, I feel as if now more than ever people are willing to say that perhaps they're overrated or that sort of thing, whereas I think even three, four years ago it was a very controversial thing to say. And that's the thing, like it's all those intrinsic memories that build up and the thing about emulation that, that always makes me laugh is like you'll spend hours trying to get something to work perfectly and then you spend 10 minutes playing the vast majority of those games unless they're really up echelon of it. I feel as if that's the way underground is that people will fight to the death for it, some people who really love it, but when it comes to actually going back and playing it, probably don't give it that much time. Yeah. Um, it definitely has its place and on, I mean, every time a new Need for Speed game gets announced, people want the remaster, people want the HD remakes, people want the underground free. Um, if you don't consider 2015 underground free, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting because it kind of intrinsically impacts um, Unbound as well. Mm -hmm. Just for the, the use of that UN, <laughs> like at the start of the yeah. the subtitle. Um, yeah, I mean that that's something in its own right, and I guess we will talk about that when it comes out because. On that point on Heat, you've always been a good avid supporter of that game, to be fair, Adam. I even remember when it first came out, you talked very highly of it, and I think it was in one of the Christmas pods when we were talking, or New Year pods, it might have been that year. Yeah. Yeah, when that came out, and you said that was the best racing game you'd played that year, if I remember right, or it was up there, at least. Um, I think that was the year that I had said the same for WRC 9. Yeah, been. it's probably in 2019, um, I think, so, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've always felt that way, so that's why it's interesting, because... The way it always goes with these games is that a few years passes and people think about it a bit more and they say, you know what, that was actually pretty good, that was actually mm. pretty great. And you're probably seeing now more people open to that idea that Heat is actually a, a pretty high benchmark compared to initial trepidation when the game first came out. Yeah, it's just something like, it's just kind of so hard for me. It's one of those things that like you hear is an argument. It's not even an argument, it's just like better than, right? They're not better than. And it's just like... 
why and then you know there won't be any exposition on that because no one feels that they have to make that argument because underground's so iconic it's like i mean look i mean you don't you can feel whatever you feel you can think whatever you think obviously but it's like i need a little bit more i need to know why like i i kind of wanted to end this to talk about like why these games didn't work for me and why i like most yeah. wanted so much by comparison because most wanted builds on these games pretty directly um it's visually stylistically a big change because now it's daytime um but i think i think the open world is just so much more varied in to most wanted 2005 and it i think it really worked because it was this understanding from ea from black box rather that like we don't we don't have to play favorites here we don't have to pit the tuners against the people who like to drive lamborghini like we can just make a game that has everything that like if you liked any of the past need for speeds there will be something here for you and i think like uh mw2005 like united those fan bases in a way that's like very hard to do and that was all i needed like okay you're, you're giving me cars i actually want to drive and i love japanese sports cars but like i'm sorry i don't want to drive like a stock lancer so like you're giving me like performance cars I want to drive. You're giving me a world that feels rich and like actually like parts of it like feel beautiful. Like there's nothing in underground that like kind of stops me in my tracks. Whereas I remember like there were there were points like on the highway weaving through the mountains and everything like that in, in Most Wanted that felt really special. And you have those uh, cop chases and the cop chases like they were that element of surprise and variability they were that X factor that underground just didn't have, but you could get into one of those epic cop chases that would just last you like an hour in 2005. And like it, you know, those are the things I remember from that game. And, and that's, you know, an experience I could never have with these. And so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because like there are certain pieces missing here that would be filled in the future. Um, I think for yeah. people who, who didn't maybe enjoy these so much. So did you consider like Carbon a step back in some ways then? Like when that came out compared to more? Yeah, I mean, it felt like they were, it felt like almost like an overcorrection. Like they were like, oh, we went too much away from like what made Underground really big, even though like, I mean, most wanted all these games sold really, really well. I think probably yeah. at Carbon, they yeah. started to maybe hit a little bit of a, of a downturn. Um, and, but the thing about carbon is like the black box, it's funny. Their physics started out really like solid and over time they got more unraveled. Like they tried to do too many yeah. things or like, Oh, we need to make a, we need to make like a Mustang handle completely differently than like any other car. Like it has its wheels in a different place or something. Like they just, they just tried to do too much, especially in the physics side. And like they started to lose the core fundamentals. And I remember doing like drift events and like the, like the the toge in uh, carbon was like a neat idea but the game didn't have the physics to back it up so it's like you're this is a mode that rewards precision and i don't want to drive uh on these mountain passes <laughs> so um yeah. but you you uh, i didn't know you were such a fan of carbon so oh yeah, yeah. i mean I, I absolutely loved carbon yeah. it's funny <laughs> the, the first version of that game i played was on the wii oh my god <laughs> i actually completed and played it on the wii it was the, one of the games i got like at launch pretty mm. much I think it was a launch title, if I remember right, or it was the following month, but um, yeah, that was like my post-Christmas game when I got the Wii, and 
like even playing it on there with the motion controls, I really enjoyed it. And then like I don't know if it was the same in the US, but the PlayStation Three version of that game was so expensive, like in comparison to to other games. And it's still to this day on eBay and stuff. It's still a bit of a bit of a high commodity if you've got one in terms of like what you can sell it for no, and stuff. I, didn't I don't know, know if that. it's the same in the US. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so once I got the PS3 version a lot later down the line, that was just like I, I, I fucking loved it, man. Um, I, I really like the vibe of Carbon and the I love the daft cutscenes and I did I actually quite like the Toge racing as well. Okay. Um, I thought it was a good a good crux for the game and it was cool having that type of gimmick race type tied to progression and that sort of thing. And yeah. It definitely kind of leaned into this idea that you were unlocking different parts of the map, that sort of thing. For me, Carbon actually delivers on like and it, this is the caveat for me. I think I've said this before, but I've not actually played most wanted 2005 through to completion myself mm. it's one of those weird blank spots in my game racing game history yeah. that i need to address and experience since I've, I've played 2012 and i really enjoy 2012 um for my sins some might say <laughs> um yeah carbon for me like that that is my ideal underground environment yeah. because i feel as if you were talking about about the fact you had the lamborghini fans and, and you had the kind of street racer fans and you were able to merge those together i actually quite liked how carbon made it combative on that basis like they mm. you could pursue whichever option you wanted but i liked the fact that intrinsically tied to the storyline it was this idea that the pretty boys drove the the big yeah. bad sports cars and the yeah. the cool kids drove the, the tuners and stuff it's such a like tra- it's such a like tried and boring like comparison story and that's type the thing, thing but that that always like bothered, <laughs> that always bothered me i don't know i i mean yeah. I can't even really say why. I think I just like loved all these cars and I wanted to drive all of them. Like I it it bothered me that it was always the way in a lot of these black box game where games where it was like anything that was American has to handle like shit. And it's like I want to <laughs> drive a Viper. Like can I just enjoy yeah. fucking driving a Dodge Viper or a Corvette Z06? Like that stuff that stuff really bothered me. Um but to be honest like when I played Carbon uh that was one of the last games i remember at the time we had one of those awful i've talked about it a bunch of times i talked about it on the last episode uh that we had with uh john and andrew because it was all tech based um at the time my family had a gigantic rear projection hitachi tv one of those like it's like oh wow extremely deep and like after like you know a couple of years the screen goes to shit and it's like super blurry it was standard definition and like it it got to a point where like 2006, 2007, you have these next gen consoles are out. Uh, they're HD capable and you try to plug them into an SD TV, especially a bad one. And you're using like, I maybe, I, I hope we're using component. I don't know, but like it, the games were so blurry. And that room also, the room that that TV was in had a lot of windows and it was always sunny. And a game like Carbon, I couldn't see. It was just, just black and smeary and <laughs> awful. So I did not yeah. experience Need for Speed Carbon in the best uh, environment, safe to say. And maybe that that might be that might be an interesting one. I don't know if it's a game I want to play next because I feel like I've been playing a lot of Need for Speed lately. But that yeah. might be Talking one to about revisit a lot of Need for Speed day. as well. Yeah, I think even but chat's kind of aligning with maybe your thoughts on that as well in terms of. Huh, yeah. Okay. Everybody kind of has their own personal preference, and I, I like the idea of the turf war side coinciding with street racing because it ties up a nice kind of narrative oversight when 
these games try to take themselves super seriously when you could probably solve all the issues by just offing the person who's doing <laughs> street races if we're going to go down the illegality route. So I like this idea that they kind of tied it more into the idea of trying to capture each area. Um, it was a good way of kind of keeping the game interesting and also tying into car classes. Doesn't like it doesn't make sense from an automotive perspective, <laughs> but from the kind of purposes of Need for Speed's kind well Need for Speed Carbon's type world. I quite liked the idiotic idea of it. I do agree that they probably shouldn't make it so that that means you never want to drive certain cars, which is absolutely the case. But I think from a a cheese narrative point of view, it's pretty funny to imagine that nobody drives Ferraris except guys wearing long fucking grey trench coats and gelled hair. Did you you like the narrative (laughs) in that game? And, And to that point, did you, like especially when you play the game as a kid did you get sucked into narratives in these underground games oh well not so much one and two at all really okay. um i wonder if that's just being a little bit on the too young side to care about narrative gotcha. and more just interested in the cars yeah um carbon i could definitely form an opinion on it and um i, I really I, I like the cast of characters in carbon yeah. just because like i love how over the top darius is for example is the big bad Obviously, oh, yeah. Cross making his appearance from Most Wanted mm. at the start as well. Um, the cool little kind of throwback in there. And then just throughout it, it's like they they went for all the kind of correct stereotypes that at that time period are somehow not too offensive either, which is a rarity. Like they, they didn't uh, pull a midnight club in some scenarios in terms of like going down maybe too far, right. contextualising people based on nationality and stuff. But they, it's as if they kind of looked at like driving films and, and racing films of the time, including Fast and Furious, obviously, and tried to pick up people who would be involved in this kind of overly cheesy turf war type scenario. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty. It's pretty fun and engaging for what it is. It's not going to win any Oscars, sure. obviously. Um, but and, and just because somebody's mentioned it in the chat as well, I think I've said as much before. But I also liked 2015's loose narrative. I liked the the camaraderie between all the, the kind of different drivers and such. I I loved the kind of injection of the kind of real life drivers that like Ken Block and stuff in there. Yeah. That added a nice wee bit of dynamism to that world so in many ways 2015 for me was kind of taking what they had in carbon and, and <sighs> pushing it even further but they didn't i wouldn't even call it a narrative though like that's the thing in 2015 i feel as if it's more of a showing your friends street racing and that's kind of the extent of it. it there's a little bit of drama in there like kind of human to human drama but it doesn't seem as if there's ever a I don't know, yeah. dra- like kind of storyline drama 2015 is like the one of those like awful like games for me to remember where it's like god if you handled a little bit better (laughs) oh well yeah (laughs) you'd be like like you had every every beat like you you nailed the vibe you nailed all of these things you had the they they did that weird thing where they were mixing like real people and like synthesized backgrounds or whatever it's like it actually like looked kind of cool like everything they were doing was they were barking up the right tree on like a stylistic design brief basis and but the the physics just completely fell apart like i could they just make that game like remaster that game and replace it with you know hopefully better physics there you go (laughs) it is so interesting how botched the physics are but i still played that game for like 40 hours or something as well just because yeah just such a nice place to be like Mm. like we talked about with the characters it's just that you and your friends just kind of having fun as opposed to trying to take down a big bad or take over the street racing world, that sort of thing. Um, 
I really love the soundtrack in 2015 as well. It hits that nice kind of like in that era they could have got the soundtrack so wrong, but I love the way that they they actually managed to blend all the different genres pretty well. So it isn't too dump drum and bass heavy. It isn't too kind of rap heavy. It's a nice kind of mix in there. Yeah. Um, I I like the Instagram filter as well, like in terms of the way that paints the graphics, because you can still go back to that game and be like at certain angles and certain types of kind of light off the the kind of street and stuff, and be like, holy shit, like that that does look very real. Yeah, twenty fifteen does a thing. I think a lot of games have to, a lot of racing games have to consider, and it's like you don't have to have your racing game like completely like in scope covering daytime, nighttime, evening time, yeah. sunrise, sunset. Choose a theme and style that makes the game look great and run with it. Like there's, mm. there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And I feel as if 2015, like I always remember it, it's what we do as like racing game fans in general, but people were immediately shitting on the fact that it wasn't a 24-7 kind of day night cycle and how like, oh that's pathetic and all that sort of thing. But like when you return to that game mm. It's one of those rare titles that only ever sticks to the types of conditions it looks fantastic in, and yeah. that's one of the reasons why it's so fun to go back to and, and see that the, those visuals still hold up pretty well. Yeah, well, that's why a lot of games like I mean, that's why Drive Club get just gets to a point where it's like every event is like some horrible, you know, uh, <laughs> weather yeah. event because like that game always looks so good in the rain. And it looks good in the sun too, but when it's like a little bit overcast, depending on the time of day, sometimes when the lighting's flat, it just it just isn't convincing. I think um, it's the, the yeah. very first race in that game. Uh, the it's like the Mercedes Benz hatchback mm. at India or something, and it's like full daytime, murky, just like it looks so crispy. Like that's yeah. the the drive club, isn't it? I've seen. And, yeah, there's there's an yeah, image that's gone around of I think that particular race <laughs> that has been yeah. infamous. But that game looks so good in other contexts that I don't yeah. even care. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a non it's a non point. It's just funny yeah. when like, especially since like that was when I got my PS4 and the first game I booted up. It was like, oh, what the hell's going on here? And then it quickly fades away as you go through the game. Right. But, um, yeah, but, but, uh, we've pretty much talked about a kind of roundtable of other titles outside Underground. Off sure. The back of that discussion. Yeah. I think it's I, I think it's uh, worth talking about though, and I also think it'd be cool to maybe do, uh, you know, we had a couple of seven out of ten race. Maybe we only had the one seven out of ten racers episode. And in my head, I'm thinking it was a longer thing, but I think like a seven out of ten, like maybe not even seven out of ten, just all the other street racers where we play like Juiced, Street Racing Syndicate. Uh, I think there was a Fast and Furious game at one point. Just like everything else yeah. that was out at that time that cool. nobody played, because like. <laughs> you know, I mean, people listening have, but you know, most most people just play it underground um, because it'd be interesting to kind of pick out aspects where those games maybe introduced something that uh, maybe yeah. the the rest of the industry might have done well to pick up on. Um, but yeah, it's you know, two thousand like two thousand two through like two thousand seven. It was like this was like the only racing game that felt like it really that people were really playing that really mattered yeah. outside of like Gran Turismo, um, and they really encapsulated an era. And you know, I, I, we could spend another probably like twenty minutes talking about Unbound. Um, we don't have to do that, but I think we're we're gonna we're definitely gonna have an Unbound episode between now and Christmas yeah. when that game comes out. And uh, I am cautiously optimistic because. Uh, as as we've said, I really enjoyed Heat. I I don't know how I feel about the art style, but I also don't think that we can really pass a judgment until we see it in motion. So 
You know, that them just my my head. And that's proven harder than you would think based on the marketing material right, right. so far. <laughs> well, you know, look, my yeah. mind is open, and ultimately, I won't really care how the game looks to a certain extent if they fix some of the other issues, like like the handling. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, just when we're talking about weird street racing games, um, I believe we may have talked about it before, but I was just curious quickly if you played Street Supremacy on the PSP. So that was a that was a Tokyo Extreme Racer, right, on the PSP. Uh, yeah, I have not. I remember I I considered buying it when I had the PSP at the time, uh, and yeah. I didn't because back then I didn't like TXR because I was stupid. But yeah. now I've gone oh, back it, and they got panned, man, as well. Like, yeah. It's not as if you were alone with that thoughts. Like huh. critically, it was an absolute bomb. Yeah. Like I think that was a, a pretty common. It's weird, isn't it, TXR? It's like at one point it just clicks for you and it's like, yeah. oh shit, this is like fantastic. And yeah, Street Supremacy is definitely in that category of game we we're talking about, I think, just because it's a, it's a PSP TXR. Like, holy shit. It's funny thinking back on how cool it would have been having that if you were a fan of the series. Yeah, I think once you, um, once you sort of internalize the issues that that series always had and you accept them for what they are and you can kind of get past that and see like there's just something so pure and the, the complete opposite of the opportunism that we're maybe talking about with underground uh you know coming from genki because genki genki was uh nothing if not you know very very pure and of a singular vision whether or not they always achieved that vision was another story um because they produced some of the best racing games and simultaneously yeah. some of the worst and you never really knew what you were gonna get out of genki but uh no, no, of course not. And for a company that focused specifically on that genre, it's funny when you see lines from reviews this time, Street Supremacy, Sunday IGN said, easily one of the worst racing games I've ever laid my hands on, Balmain. <laughs> and that's for a development studio that focuses on racing games. Like, it's so funny that they're that divisive. Yeah, yeah. Well, Acquire 86 right here saying they, they love it and it has the worst speed feeling of all <laughs> racing games. I don't even now you've got to play it now you've yeah. got to play it yeah oh my god I will we'll, we'll, yeah that'll, that'll be part of our discussion of uh, street racers that didn't quite make it <laughs> yeah I think so alright well I guess that, that'll do it for this episode right that's, that's about yeah, I think it. so mate yeah I think we've covered it off pretty nicely um, I forget how long because when I stream I'm used to it being longer but now I realize it's been like an hour and a half so this is this has been something yeah. of a mega episode um, yeah, absolutely yeah uh, yeah we'll do we'll definitely have a Need for Speed Unbound show um, and then yeah. I won't make any promises about anything aside from the Christmas cast because that's the one that we know we're doing and that's going to be that's going to be all hot takes based uh, I mean maybe not all who knows but that's going to be the main driver so um, Brent, do you I kind of want to stream that one as well just to see we the should, we should yeah. Like. yeah we absolutely <laughs> should so, so definitely yeah. um, find that tweet Brend, you put out a tweet, uh, Kaz asking you for your uh, hottest opinion, and um, it'll keep us warm during the winter months for sure. Well, absolutely. I've already, and amongst the multitude of continuous Forza Horizon-based takes, there is some good stuff out there. Yeah. It's just crazy how that series just dominates those type of posts. Like, it's, it's wild. Um, but there are some really interesting ones in there I've seen, um, and I, I cannot wait to get into them. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of... I, I think what amazes me more than anything else is that like people can 
have like I don't think a Forza Horizon I don't think Forza Horizon is good actually and think that that's a hot take because I guess <laughs> in the grand scheme of things it is a hot yeah. take because a lot of people love Forza Horizon but if you have ever followed us like it's the same people as well yeah, like I yeah. get it if it's like new faces fair enough right. but it's like, it's the same people from last time yeah. saying that again you're preaching like, to the you choir know you know uh, but that's yeah. how it goes sometimes all right well uh yeah thank you thank you again for uh listening to time extend thank you because um you know we had our uh if you're if you're listening over the podcast uh you may have forgotten this was a live show so uh thank you to everyone here who who was here acquire uh chris good to see you thunder uh all great and um yeah we'll have some more live shows in the future uh go follow us at time underscore extend on twitter if you don't already our twitch is just time extend as we use it yeah. more, that will be yeah. important. Um, will be. All right. And uh, that's going to do it. So thanks again, guys. Yeah. Cheers for listening, guys. Thank you.